Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, a bountiful booty of bats from benignly besotted Norwich fans, whose club finds itself bottom of the league for now. I'm Tom, and alongside John this week, we welcome Zoe and Maddie to set the yellow and green world to rights. Let's start with Leicester. And Zoe, are you thinking three points dropped, one point dropped, or an encouraging performance gained? Oh, well, hi, Tom. Um, <clears throat> I think I think it's got to be at least one point dropped. Um, my immediate reaction on the final whistle was, how did, how did we not get anything out of that? Um, really quite heartbreaking. It was my first match back um, since COVID um, and a real sort of reminder about how much, <laughs> how painful football can be sometimes. I think um, I think it really felt like we were in a game. It felt very competitive. Um, and, you know, there was a performance there and we had the chances, we created them, you know, we had some near misses. And I think if, I think if that goal hadn't been ruled out, nobody would have begrudged us that point. I think you could probably argue that we deserved all three, but that might be stretching it. Um, but definitely a point I think we really deserved. I think you make a really good point that um, after it being probably quite a few people's first game back, um, obviously there was the one one league home game before that and, and the Bournemouth game as well, which we'll come on to. But I think con- the context of, of whether or not it's three dropped, one dropped or an encouraging performance, I think come December, January time, if we've picked up some points in the meantime, we will look look back on that game as we came so close to beating Leicester, who are now in fourth place or eighth place or whatever. Um, so I, I think it, it, you could be right that actually it's the it's the stinging disappointment of a disallowed goal, the stinging disappointment of two absolute sitters missed in, at the death where we we, should, we clearly could have maybe even won it at the end. Or is it, well, that was the point at which we all started to believe and then over the course of the following three or four games, we were proved right. What about you, Maddie? Were you... Do you still feel the same now as you did just after full time on on Saturday? Well, I think it's like you say, it's all about context, isn't it? At full time, I was, to be honest, I was gutted up until Tim Prull ran out of his goal up to take the corner and then for the follow-up attack, at which point just seeing him there in his full pink kit up at uh, Leicester's goal just made me laugh so much that I I couldn't really feel sad about the result. But yeah, I I think it's all context, isn't it? Like you say, if if we're safe come May then we can look at it and go yeah we gave Leicester a good game if we're 20th come May then you'll look at it and go oh for goodness sake another point dropped but I think it's a sign of how close it is to clicking and I know that I've I've said this a thousand times and I said it loads of times in our last Premier League season and I was disastrously wrong but it feels like you know it's maybe one or two tweaks away from getting good results against good teams you know i'm i'm looking at the arsenal games and the watford games and i'm thinking if he's got those tweaks sorted over the international break then i would expect something from those two games so right now i'm seeing that game as a positive rather than points dropped and what about you punt the fan please are you are you saying that we should be feeling Super positive, or or are you more on the, the Zoe side of things, where you know burn the whole thing down and sack everyone, which is I think what she said. <laughs> I'm not quite sure that's what she said, mate. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm definitely of the opinion that it was a point dropped, and because we just grew into the game, it, we'd look for 20 minutes, we'd looked fairly porous at the back. Ben Gibson had a had a bit of a mare, and probably I'd say his his worst game in a yellow shirt so far for me. Um, Gilmore was getting pulled out of position. It all appeared to be a bit of a worry midway through that first half. And then visibly Norwich grew. It seemed like tactically 
Farker or some a general on the pitch had had changed something. We played on the counter a bit more. We looked better on the counter. I think um, the formation lends itself to counter-attacking a, a bit more than than perhaps the four-two-three-one that that Farker usually prefers. Rashitza kind of exerted his influence, and I, again, that was probably his best game, um, you know, for Norwich so far. He seemed to be really encouraging, and I think if we can just get him linking up with Puki, so it's a point dropped, but there's loads and loads of positives to gain from that, and, and I guess we'll come onto the transfer window in a bit I'm sure but it it just underlined what we were missing and perhaps what we're now not missing and we've um to quote an old EDP journalist we've kind of bolted on some muscle to the squad I I think I'm I'm in the middle of the 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 two schools of thought but probably closest to to Maddie's thoughts along the lines of, of things clicking um and as I said, with regards to context, it's important to, to to know that we don't know how good Leicester are yet. You know, we don't know whether or not they are actually going to have a disappointing lower top half season, which would be disappointing for them. We'd bite your hand off. Um, but but actually, the the things that really really pleased me were how much clearer we seem to understand how you get from A to B with regards to getting the ball forward. Um, first fifteen twenty minutes, I really was worried again that that actually this, this we look. Like overawed and we were giving them far too much respect which is what I thought we did in the, the first half of the Liverpool game as well um, then halfway through the first half we seemed to visibly take about 15 steps up the pitch and stay there almost for the remainder of the game um, so I don't know whether or not it was a case of a, a pre-agreed plan B if we're 1-0 down um, but it was, it was like the, the 20-odd minutes gone, our, our approach to the game seemed to change. I know the scoreline had changed, but you know, I know we'd wandered down, but it, it, it was such a marked difference um, that we started to play on the front foot and we almost started to, to trust our touch a bit more. And what we weren't doing in the first two games that we started doing in the Leicester game was we were playing the second ball quickly. So we're quite often doing a quick pass, so receive the ball and play it first time, and you go around the corner and you get the first ripple of applause. But then the second movement is backwards or sideways or has been in the first two matches. And what I thought was really stark in terms of comparison, in the second half on uh, on Saturday against Leicester, the second movement was also forward in the second half. We, we you know So um, Aarons would play the ball into... Um, Gilmore, who would also then look to, to push the ball through to um, Puki or Sargent, or um, you know, the ball would go out right to Rasika, and he would look to um, either take a player on or do something at least diagonally, rather than you know, in our first two and a half or two and a third games, what we seemed to be doing was a really cool round the corner turn or a good one-two, but then the second action was was, was backwards, which just makes it so easy for the defence to to kind of regroup, especially at that level. And that was one of the, the biggest bugbears I had in, you know, the, the, the previous Premier League season. So, so I'm interested. Coming back to you, Zoe, uh, what do you think we learn about the uh, players we already have? So we'll come onto the transfer and you know, really interesting last 48, um, well, 72 hours for, for Norwich City. But for the players that were in the squad as of full time on the Leicester game. What do you think we maybe learn about about the, the players we've actually already got in the building? Well, I would say that I think um, what it what we learned was that we're very lucky to still have Max in the in the squad. I think how 
he's not been picked up by anyone. And, you know, that's that's possibly to do with whether the knock-on effect of Trippier moving um, didn't really happen um, as expected or whatever. But he is is such a high-quality player and such a committed player. Um, I just think that we're really lucky to still have him after all this time. Um, I keep having conversations with my dad, I think, um, about... Um, the fact that we kind of hope that he does get a big move at some point because we think he deserves it. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of like if he doesn't move, if he doesn't ever move, is he not as good as we think he is? Um, And I think, um, you know, we've had sort of conversations in the past about attitude and when players sort of felt like they were ready to leave and move on. And, um, you know, last season we had the old drama with Emmy and Todd and um, leaving the squad and everything. And I think Max's attitude, like, I don't think I've ever seen him on the pitch looking like he doesn't want to be there playing as if he doesn't want to play for Norwich City. And his um, sort of attitude and aggression during the second half, especially on Saturday, I thought was just really going to characterise the way we need to play for the rest of the season if we're going to stay up. Um, I think Madison was in his ear trying to wind him up um, quite a lot. I don't think Max is wind upable, if that's a phrase. I think he's... Uh, I, you know, I think he's pretty unshakable, and I was just really impre- impressed with the way that he played, and he kept on playing till the end on Saturday. Um, I'm not sure that the same could be said about Todd, perhaps in his body language. Um, I think he looked, he cut a very forlorn figure at the end, um, and I think he's going to need to be sort of made of sterner stuff if he's going to stay, and you know, we're gonna um, we're gonna keep fighting because there's going to be more difficult battles. There's going to be more points lost along the way. Um, and if you lose heart after three games, you're probably struggling a little bit. Um, and I think it, it told us that we're, you know, we're not far away from being a very competitive side. We're still a team getting to know each other. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of new faces. They had such a disrupted pre-season. We're really sort of learning on the job here. And I think, like you were saying, Tom, I think... Um, you can kind of visibly see them understanding their roles, understanding how they fit together sort of during the games, um, which is, you know, tough for them in terms of having to do it so visibly. But um, I really think that it feels like there's a lot further that this squad, especially with the new signings, probably can go. Whereas in the first three few games of our last Premier League season, we were playing very well, but that was probably as well as we knew that we were ever going to play. Um, And we never really got any better, (laughs) I think, throughout that season. Whereas I think the potential in this squad is to be a a far better side than that. And it's just we're going to watch them evolve and watch them work out if they know how to play better than that that squad from two years ago. Fascinating that you pulled out the aggression of Max because I was about to follow up your point about Max with Todd, and then you then came on to Todd in a slightly kind of you know negative or, or constructive criticism <laughs> way. Whereas I personally, I, I, my my friend Dan, who has his season ticket holder always, but he, he doesn't normally sit sit with me. But the way that seats worked, he he was with me, and I I turned to him and said, I actually don't mind that from Todd when he was when it was a bit you know when the game looked like it was pretty much over and he was getting really really irate. Um, you know, I I actually really enjoyed that. It, it to me it made it made it seem like he cared, 
and he probably did it for about three to five minutes longer than he should have done. You know, it should have been a 45 second to 90 second outburst and then a bit of petulance towards the linesman who then, you know, mucked, sorry, assistant referee or whatever they're called, and, and who then mucked up a throw in just after the, the, the offside or what have you. Um, but I, I actually liked that in Todd and I liked that he wasn't just making up the numbers. And I wonder how under threat he feels with... You know, basically, there are two or three people who you could argue have been brought in that could take his place. Um, so he, he he hasn't hit the heights yet this season, and and I still think that he, I still think that he has got a massive part to play in keeping us up. I don't think he'll necessarily start all the games. It might be that he does have to go out of the team and then come back in with a couple of maestro sub appearances and then then earn, earn his, his spot again and then not not lose it but i still think if he if he's on song and he really can play you know he's at his twinkle toes best then then i think that could could be amazing i i love that you mentioned the potential at the end there zoe because i saw some potential i mean Rashica in particular um some of the dribbles that he did in the liverpool game and then he obviously got more of the ball and was able to do that far more in the in the Leicester game, I mean, he he looks like an absolute bargain already, to be honest. And him and him and Puki, uh, him and Sergeant, him and Ida, they need to obviously get on the same page with regards to where he's going to cut the ball back to, when it's going to be high, when it's going to be low, and that will come with time. You know, they've all had time out with COVID, almost all those people I just mentioned, right? So they haven't had like two or three weeks solid training together, probably. Um, so yeah, I, I saw some real. Real, real green shoots there. What, what about you, Maddie? Did, did who do you think? What do you think we learned about about the kind of current squad? Not not to mention the most most recent new boys um, at the weekend. Well, I think it's really interesting. You know your your points about Todd because I was thinking. You know, I hate to say it, but I was thinking exactly the same as you, Tom, when Zoe was um, speaking about him. I thought he had. I thought he was one of the players that was really responding to the Manchester City result. I think. At, at Man City, it was widely acknowledged that he had. Obviously, everyone had a pretty poor game, but Todd in particular seemed to down tools and not have a fantastic time of it. Whereas at Leicester, it was almost as if he was fighting for his position in the team. He seemed to realise that maybe you know he's not guaranteed to be a starter with the additions we've had. So he really just seemed he seemed everywhere. He really wanted to link up with Rashica and with Lee's Malou. I noticed as well there was a lot of overlap between those two. They were always trying to find each other. So. Yeah, I was I was happy with his energy levels. And again, interestingly on Max, he's someone that seems to have been called out a lot. Um, people saying that positionally he's been a bit off. I Personally, I think he had a rough two games, but then looked better against Leicester. And then obviously you had Williams with the mistake for the first Leicester goal. Now, I'm, I've mentioned this loads on this podcast, but my dad's a Man United fan. So I've watched Brandon Williams pretty closely over the last couple of years and was really pleased that we got him on loan. And I think... He's one of those players that is going to grow into the squad and he's going to have perhaps a lot more of an impact than people are expecting because he does have a really nasty streak in him. And that's something that we don't have so much as a team. You know, you see other teams go up to the ref and criticise every decision and get in their face and get in the opposition team's face. Whereas it almost feels like Norwich are quite happy to go, no, that's okay. You've got the ball. The decision's gone your way. That's fine. I'll just, I'll leave it. But Brandon Williams is is happy to leave a tackle on another player and he's happy to go up to the ref and have a bit of a conversation, which is obviously quite a Manchester United trait. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. On that point, Maddie, it's, 
it's not a Manchester. It's a Manchester United straight, uh, trait because it's a winner's trait. And <laughs> and I think it's I, I think it's worth interrupting just to say that was another thing that that Leicester showed. Um, there's been a few glimpses in the first two or three games of um, this is uh, uh, this is the Premier League. This these are the things that you've forgotten it happens week in week out of the Premier League. And the crowding the ref and being apoplectic at the most ridiculously small decision not going your way from minute one is something. You know, Madison did not stop talking to the ref the entire game and the, the laughing and smiling and joking and mating us mating us with the ref that the ref was the ref. It was I can't remember the guy's name on Saturday but he was clearly one of those who was over the moon if one of the players knows his first name you know he, he loved smiling putting his arm around Vardy congratulating him for his goal you know that sort of thing really winds me up the celebrity ref side of things but you're right Mandy that that's what we need we need that we need that from Toddy we need that from um, Brandon Williams I'd like to see it more from Hanley to be honest because I, I if, if I was a referee I would give Hanley whatever decision he wants you know we should we need to be Horrible to referee, horrible to play against. You know, so sorry, sorry to interrupt. But I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good point. The reason I said it's a Manchester United trait is because whenever I think about players going up and hassling the ref, I always think of Ashley Young when uh, Manchester United came to us. Uh, I think it was the last Premier League game they came to us in when Hernandez scored. I think, and I just remember that every single time a decision went against them, it was Ashley Young up in the ref's face. And it was it was absolutely doing my head in. So that's always my association with players that get in the face. You know, Ashley Young, perhaps not the most technically gifted player, but my God, would he fight the ref for his team? Yeah, well, but what do you think, Pun? Do you think maybe we are slightly less naive this time round? Maybe it's a bit too early to tell, three in. I think it's, yeah, it's way too early to tell. And actually the first two games, I think we committed pretty much the least amount of fouls in the whole of the Premier League. So... I don't think we're as streetwise as as we need to be quite yet. Um, just to go back to Todd, I think I'm I'm probably with Zoe. I, he kind of lost it for a bit too long. Um, I think he was really good up until that point, and the the goal and the kind of frustration or the goal, the non goal, kind of that visibly pissed him off, and it pissed him off for too long. And I, I think he was completely ineffective after that, and his attitude didn't didn't necessarily help the team. I um, but Prior to that, you know, there was there were some really really good signs. To to go back to your point about you know are we nasty enough? Yeah, definitely not. Um, and and I think we can get loads better at that. The the signings that we've made seem like they might be with that in mind. I think look, this is something that that Stuart Weber and Daniel Farker are, are going to know, and they're going to know that actually if that gives us a a slight edge, um, then then they'll look to do it. But it hasn't been Farker's way previously, so. It, it's going to take a while, I think, to to creep in. And the, the players that we've signed thus far that have played, so I'm thinking, Lee's Malou, he's not that kind of player, is he? You know, um, Billy Gilmore certainly not that kind of player. Um, you know, Williams obviously, as as Maddie said, we we've kind of seen it in fits and starts. And the word I'd use to describe him is probably canny. Like he's really good at just knowing what to do in the right time to do it. Um, you know, and that, and that probably is a Manchester United trait that is just kind of ingrained in you um, as to, you know, what actions you need to take to to influence something. So, yeah, I, look, we definitely need to get a lot nastier as, as a side. I think we will. I think it's something that's known. Um, and I think we've signed the players to do that. Well, so a couple of things I wanted to, to pick up on there. So, um, firstly, which isn't something you just said, but we need to make sure it's recorded on this podcast. Albrighton should have been sent off anyway. Uh, he, he he should have had a booking in something like the third or fourth minute, I think, really early in the game. 
Um, Paul, Paul had played back, Marvin Rashica, who had him all ends up. And the only reason he didn't get booked was because it was the first infringement. But the rules aren't any different in minute one than they are in minute 91. Um, so that incensed me. Then he then got the, the booking which after about the third or fourth infringement, which should have been his second yellow. Um, but on the um, on the things you said about Pierre Lee, I want to just talk about him because I, um, after him looking bright against very, very poor opposition, um, I'm actually now... I'm now kind of in the in the camp where he's not done very much at all, and I would he would be the very first person I would ship out um, to to make room for for, for new boys or, or to make room for something else. I, I I don't think he really affected the game very positively on um, on Saturday, um, having previously thought he he looks like a canny signing. What what do you think, Zoe? Were you higher on him than that? Um. Yeah, I've, I've sort of had mixed feelings about him at the moment. I certainly don't think he's up to the pace um, at the moment. I think hopefully that will come um, with the adjustment of playing in this league. Um, I do think he seems to tire quite quickly. I think in the games that I've seen that he seems to start start quite brightly um, and very sort of organised and compact. And, and then he sort of seems to drift out, um, sort of lose a bit of that kind of spatial awareness I think a little bit and kind of drifts around um in a far less organized way um he definitely looks like he can pass um I think you know I think I think there's something there but I think you're right you know if we're we've got a lot more competition now and um depending on you know on what we want to do I think certainly I don't think his place is 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 nailed on I think there's definitely some competition there and um you know that's probably good for for a lot of them really that you know they're not just going to coast through um, with a definite place in the side, and I think hopefully, you know, that encourages him to to really kick on fitness wise and and to really get up to speed. I think. Yeah, he's the other one that I don't, you know, to refer to what you said, but I don't think he's he's brought enough muscle in. Um, I don't think he helps us in that that department. I think he's been been brushed off the ball too easily on on several occasions so far this season. But clearly, incredibly technically gifted player, and hopefully, he can play an important part at some point. Um, Maddie, we've been agreeing a lot this evening, so let's let's stop that. Um, I want to talk about Farker and how placid he was in the last ten minutes of the game on Saturday. Um, Brendan Rodgers was paroling, uh, patrolling the, um, you know, the, the, his technical area, barking instructions, and you could tell from the 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 the, the, uh, the cheers at the end just how much Leicester fans felt they got away with one, whatever they might say subsequently. Um, in managing to hold on for the, the win. I mean, the fact that they were holding on is, is testament to, to how well we played in the second half. Farker seemed to just sort of accept his fate after the goal went in. You know, mentioned, you know, Campwell's reaction. I personally didn't really care much for Farker's reaction. He wasn't geeing up the crowd. He wasn't, are oh, you not entertained, signs to the crowd. It wasn't, you know, shouting at the ref and, and all the rest of it. He just sort of sat slumped in his in his chair and, let what will be will be. I, I don't know whether or not you, you have a thought on that. I'd, well, to be perfectly on brand, my glasses were filthy, so I could barely see what was going on past the halfway line. <laughs> so I've got no idea what Farker was doing. But, I mean, the whole geeing up the crowd thing, that's not really his style anyway, is it? You know, his. I think Farker is a lot more... He is when we're winning. <laughs> ...democratic than um, perhaps some other head coaches in that he views, you know, maybe Eddie Reamer and Chris Domagala as on an equal level to him and they're often the ones that will go running down and yelling at the players or, run, or yelling at the ref and you're always hearing I was only saying to someone the other day that I'm surprised Farker doesn't get sent off more because he's always in the ear of the assistant ref you know four or five minutes after a decision's gone against Norwich so I think 
I, I think there is something in that he just sits down, but I also think that he delegates perhaps some of that geeing up duty to the rest of his coaching staff. I don't know if they're better at it. I, I don't know, but I think that's part of the setup that Norwich have got going on. So would I like to see him running up and down the touchline, yelling at the crowd? From a pure entertainment personality thing, I think it would be hilarious. But I think, you know, maybe he doesn't need to do that. Maybe he's got the staff there to do it for him. And, you know, Norwich are so, pardon the pun, on the ball with these things that I think if there was a marginal gain to be made there, it would have perhaps already been looked at. So if he's doing it, he's doing it for a good reason. You know, he's experienced plenty of other managers on that touchline. He knows what he's doing and he knows what his body language is saying to his players. So... I don't know. I think it would be an interesting question to ask him, really. It's sort of one that, you know, there are, there are some questions that we can speculate about, but we could get a firm answer if we worked it out. But I think that one is only the man himself can answer why he does that. And that that's definitely something I'd like to ask him, because that's that's something I've noticed over the course of his few years here, that his he seems to almost be more G'd up when we're winning 7-0 than when we're losing 2-1 in a tight game. And yeah, I wonder why that is, but... You know I love the man, so I can't say if it's a good or a bad thing particularly. Oh, we're all we're all big fans. But it, he uh, unfortunately we, we, he's never been released to, to to fan media to for us to ask him. It's been made clear to us on several seasons occasions. So it doesn't look like anyone's ever going to get the chance to actually ask him anything other than a really simple layup. You know, tell us about why you're brilliant kind of question. But there, there, you, there you go. Um, so punt just to, to wrap up kind of Leicester and and. Um, I just want to talk about atmosphere and bring in the Bournemouth game as, as well as, as we do that. Because obviously the Bournemouth game feels a very long time ago now. One, because, um, you know, we've since had a much more important game, uh, which has got more of an impact on our long-term future. And two, because we've all seen the draw. So the Bournemouth game isn't going to matter in a few weeks' time. So I want to talk about atmosphere with you. I, I was really disappointed in how meek and uh, mild the atmosphere was in the... Um, second half of the Leicester game. Last 15 minutes, we got up ahead of steam and it was the place was rocking. But but the first kind of 25 minutes, half an hour of the second half, could have heard a pin drop. It felt very pre-season friendly. What, what do you think is people getting back into their habit of singing? What do you think it is? Mm, it's a good question. It's really difficult for me to comment because it was my 10th wedding anniversary on Saturday. So I, I took the easy option and didn't go to the game because I thought it would cause too much of an argument. Um, but I did manage to watch the whole game back. Um, but you don't really get the the full reflection on the the crowd noise. Um, I've heard bits and pieces about the atmosphere. I think I don't know against Liverpool when I was back at Carrow Road. It really felt very very easy to slip back into whatever normal was, and it it took. I think we said it on on another pod. You know, kind of it was almost instantaneous once you saw a few familiar faces that that you hadn't seen previously or you hadn't seen because you only see them at the football, um, you were back to, right, I'm in football mode. And so I don't I don't think it's people getting used to it. I think that, you know, there's, there's lots of pent-up feeling about this football club and people having not been at the football that they should be looking for an, an excuse to, to sing and, and celebrate your team. But, you know, far, far be it from us to, to tell people what to do when they go to the football because people on Twitter seem to take exception to that. Um, what I what I will say is that the Premier League is soulless when it comes to atmosphere and and look this was the same last time around the Man City game was was an absolute difference you know kind of when we when we beat them three two and it was probably the best atmosphere I've experienced at Carrow Road 
full stop, you know, for a full 90 minutes. But actually, if you look at the other games, it was, I don't know, it's just really, it's really joyless. And because, you know, we're, it's not that exciting kind of football that you see and it's not swashbuckling performances and it's more about containing sides and yeah, we play good football and attractive football, but it's not the kind of roller coaster of emotions of the championship. People don't get as swept up in it. It's almost like it's a constant anxiety dream rather than actually just enjoying the football like you should do. So, you know, we, we've said it last, last um, podcast, this is a ranked division and it's, it's horrible to exist in, um, but it's a necessity that we do and, and hopefully we make a fist of it and make it a bit more exciting this year. So, um, there's lots that can be done, I think, outside of that to try and generate atmosphere. But it's about the club's appetite to do that. And some of that will be looking at things like rail seating, which the government have made announcements on you know, this very week. And, and there will be pilots on that um, up and down the country, hopefully pretty soon. Some of that will be around TIFOs and, you know, kind of look. The, the subject of a drum in, in the Barclay is really controversial for some people. But, you know, things like that, you know, proactive atmosphere generation exercises do make a difference you know there's no doubt about that and and clubs up and down the country and supporter groups up and down the country will tell you that um it's just that we haven't really been afforded the opportunity to do as much as we'd have liked this season so far so i, I think you're i think you're, you're right about the anxiety dream element of it um it was kind of a case of we we, we don't dare to believe so we're sort of holding our breath to see whether or not Norwich can hold their own in the game. Mm. It may well be that if we were if we are twelfth, thirteenth, um, or even you know sixteenth, seventeenth, and it looks like it's going to be a close one thing, but we might just stay up at any point this season. It may well be that that just chills everyone out to the extent that we can concentrate on singing the songs because some of the new lads have got absolutely belting songs, and I haven't heard a single one at Carrow yet. Um, and I think it's I think it's a shame because it's. It's something that we can, we as a fan base can bring to the Premier League. We can make it entertaining. We can make it. You know, we, we've got a great fan base when we get when we get going at Carrow Road. The place is just fantastic, and I don't know. It's you are right. It tends to happen more in Premier League games where it kind of you, you lull into it being. It sounds a silly thing to say, but a spectator sport. You know, it's, it's a passive spectator sport like tennis. I'm just going to sit back and watch. You know. 22 very, very technically capable players mostly keep the ball against each other, if you see what I mean, and carve out a chance every now and again, rather than, oh, that guy's fallen over and now we're in. Oh, that guy's fallen and now we're in, which you get a lot more in the championship. Um, so, so there might be some truth to that. Um, okay, so looking ahead to um, the, the coming uh, the coming weeks, we've got a, a transfer window that we need to, to look back on. Um so coming to you first, now we, we, we know everything that we, in theory, are told the club set out to do has been achieved. What do you think, using your crystal ball, come, I'm going to go early, come the end of January, what do you think is going to be the piece of business that we're looking back going, that was Weber's finest hour this season? Ooh, such a good question. And you can make yourself look very silly by... Uh... Predicting things like this, I think. Um, I think doesn't matter if a couple of thousand people think you're an idiot, does it? It doesn't seem to affect no me. No change. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um, I think uh, it's hard to it's hard to look past Quebec. I think is going to be a, a bit of an insp- inspired piece of business. I think there was some some talk sort of earlier on in the transfer window that you know Omar Bamadeli was really impressing everybody in. Um, 
you know, in the preseason um, preparation that, you know, Hanley and Gibson very happy with those as a, you know, as a partnership. And there was some talk that perhaps we didn't necessarily need another centre-back. I think that probably would have worried a lot of fans. It certainly worried me, but you wouldn't have put it past um, Farker and Webber given uh, given where we were this time a couple of years ago. But I think bringing in someone of of, of real quality, um, you know, that has got every kind of claim to walking straight into that side, um, you know, we all thought that Hanley and Gibson would be the guys and we'd have a bit of useful backup from a very promising young player. I think to sort of to shake that up a little bit, I think really kind of is really going to affect the side and I think in a really positive way um and you know we we have struggled defensively over the past few seasons you know we were better last year um but we were in the championship and you know we need that step up um and I think I think bringing in somebody else um is really you know the squad depth suddenly looks quite impressive as opposed to a little bit you know one injury away from being very concerning um so you know I'm really pleased with that um and 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 just in case I don't have chance to uh to say the saddest bit of transfer news is obviously the news today that Tim Close has left the club um and you know it's been it's been a wonderful few years with Tim um and I think we all knew it was coming but it's a sad day that it's come I think so do you think that um, you mentioned kind of you've got, you might, um, Ozan might have a, a stake, this claim to come straight in. Who, who do you think he might, he might usurp? I mean, presumably if, if, if he was fit and ready to go for, for Arsenal, it would, it would be Gibson. It would have to be, wouldn't it? You'd say so. Um, you know, he had a mixed, a mixed day on Saturday, I think, Gibson. I think, um he had a, he had quite a poor start to the game. I think he grew into it. Um, some of his passing, you know, wasn't wasn't his usual accurate self, though. I think, um, yeah, I I think I think it would be Gibson, and I think it'd be really interesting to say if he does have a run of a few games, you know, how that partnership does progress with Hanley. Um, and you know, it, you know, it's it's it feels like it could be a very strong centre back pairing. You know, I I'd be pleased. With Gibson starting, you know, more games, I think he's, you know, he's a really strong player too. So, you know, if you're, if Norwich City is suddenly in a position where it's a tough decision who plays in cent- central defence, I think we've come quite a long way in the last couple of years, probably. Yeah, we've not been able to say that much recently. Right, OK, Maddie, I'm going to give you the same question, but in, with the inverse. So come the end of January, who's the um, who's the, the Dr. Mike or the Amadou where we're all scratching our heads saying Weber, what? What did you What did you see in him? Oh, that's tough. First of all, I'd like to take a moment to say Zoe's announcing of Tim Closer leaving was just absolutely glorious. It was like a newsreader announcing, you know, some some terribly serious global event with all these repercussions. And I'm just, you know, total straight delivery. And yeah, it does have that impact. And so, sorry, I just love that. I just, just had to say that. It was wonderful. Very serious global implications um, <laughs> for, my, for my globe, anyway. <laughs> we'll, miss you, we'll miss you, Timmy. All right. Okay. So the worst signing. That's really difficult. I've got a list in front of me of our signings and on paper, they all look fantastic, but that's so difficult, isn't it? You know, that's the whole thing that on paper, Amadou and Fairman and poor old Byram looked fantastic. It would be a cop out to go for one of the academy lads. 
So, oh man, I'm almost going to have to pick a name randomly. Oh, I know, easy cop out. I'll go for Norman because he'll miss a game and we'll realise that we absolutely really need a defensive mid. So Lungi will slot in and Sorensen will stake his claim on the team so well that Norman will go back to Rostov having played maybe two or three games and we'll go, oh yeah, I totally forgot he was going to be a record signing because Sorensen will have such a good season. There we go. How was that for an out? That was that was excellent. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you, uh, Punty Puntalicious Puntface, about uh, Norman because we've had a little bit of a, a text back and forth on this subject. I'm um, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play for Norwich. I'm just a little bit surprised, profile wise, that 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 is that's kind of the answer to our prayers. From the from the video that I've seen, which is obviously you know like like all these videos to be taken rather lightly and with a bit of a pinch of salt, he seems to be a box to box, mostly running in a straight line, dribbling and playing kind of progressive through balls defender. I mean, I know it wasn't it wasn't a kind of a showreel of his best tackles, but you know, also reading you know Michael Bailey's write up and and, and and other people who seem to know, well, they they do know a lot more about football than we do. Um, we don't seem to have designed signed a very defensive defensive midfielder. Okay, before we talk Matthias, and let's not talk about his Instagram because you know I could get a little bit hot under the collar. Um, can we just go back to um, is it Uzan or Ozan Kebak? Ozem. Ozem. We have got so much chant potential with that lad. Have, have we all heard his Liverpool chant? It's based on the Tetris theme music, which is amazing in itself. Yeah, I retweeted it from okay. the Long Come Norwich account last it's night. phenomenal. I mean, that is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, um, Zanka back when he played centre-back. When yep. he plays centre-back for Norwich. Brilliant. It's going to have to be at Carrow Road, I think. I think someone's already made that because yeah, you've got to... Yeah, that yeah, works better. That'll do. That's better. Um, or obviously, what our um, our dear friend Fionn Thomas um, tweeted about as well, Quebec for good um, by taking that, which would yeah, all, it's, it's not gonna, it's be... not going to take off the same way. Yeah, but it's just because of the loan element, it would just be so good. Um, anyway, talking about Norman. Um, oh, it's cleverer, but, but yeah, it's not. It's not the one. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, talking about Matthias Norman. Um, Emmy Buendia wasn't an obvious signing. To you know, to be the answer to our problems, Timmy Puki wasn't an you know an obvious sign that was going to be oh, a solution to though. our problems. Timmy no, 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 no. Whoa, Timmy whoa, whoa. Puki's a striker. Emmy Buendia was an attacking yeah, yeah. builder. However, do you mean? Do you see what I mean? I'm talking about the profile of the type of player he is for the position he it, plays. It's interesting, but I think the club must view him as a defensive midfielder. I mean, they even made him say, yeah, "I am I know, a defensive so midfielder." <laughs> in the intro video, brilliant, like absolutely. Like, I don't, I don't think they did that with any other player. Like, oh, I'm a centre back, or you know, I, I play left back. <laughs> Um, so there was, they clearly had been reading that people were kind of coming to the conclusion that oh, maybe this guy's a bit more of an eight than he is a six. Um, when you dig into it, he has played regularly as a six and an eight for Rostov. So I'm, I'm less worried about that than I was before. I also think, look, this recruitment team have been after him since April, I think we're led to believe from, from what I'd read um, somewhere. I can't remember where I've read that, whether, whether it's one of the Pink and Boys or, or Mr. Bailey on the Athletic. But you know, this is a guy that they've been acutely aware of. They're acutely aware of his strengths. They know about his data. They know that actually he's supposed to be really good in the tackle. The only thing that I'd be worried about is is his positional awareness. I haven't seen much about that as yet. And that's the one thing that, that Ollie Skip was brilliant at, as well as technically being a good footballer. We need a sponge. It, 
don't know, we need a sponge or a crab. You know, we need someone to sort of go sideways. Well, Steepy's gone. Steepy's gone. Ah, yeah, we need, gone, you know, we need someone to, to shuffle left and right and slot in. And if but it's I don't another... think we do anymore. So I think that the, the evolution <sighs> in the team. Three whoa, times whoa, 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 whoa. So the evolution in the team is happening in front of our eyes. So Farker, pretty much every season that he's had at Norwich City thus far, has reverted to type into, you know, into a 4 2 3 1 and, and had your double six or, you know, whatever it's fashionable to say nowadays, um, you know, but two holding midfielders. He's moved away from that because I think they're looking for a more fit for purpose Premier League um, formation that that can be effective. And part of that is going to be perhaps one holder and two eights in front of that. I think that's that's the form. Um, so if this then subsequently allows, say, Billy Gilmore to play slightly ahead of him and Kenny McLean slightly ahead of him as well and to be a bit busier in the middle of the park and then he is just mopping it up, but he's also mopping it up, taking the ball off the back four and threading passes through. And he seemed, again, his metrics seem to be really good in terms of, you know, kind of forward passing. Um, I think we've probably got a really, really good player, but, you know, it's... The recruitment team know what they're doing. And that was my point about Buendia wasn't an obvious signing. Pukki wasn't an obvious signing. They've targeted this guy for a reason. And they they think he's going to be a defensive midfielder, much like Daniel Farker thought Ben Godfrey was a centre-back and not a defensive midfielder. So I trust them to get these decisions right. And hopefully, you know, the fact that they've stayed targeted on him rather than pivot to someone else, a la, you know, Ibrahim Amadou, you know, kind of a little bit of a last minute decision, I think is a good thing. I think that this has been considered recruitment and, and we should trust it. What about the window as a whole then? So, we, you know, we're not going to do something silly, like just rate it out of 10 or give it a, an ABC or what have you. Just give me the... Give me the one highlight of the of the period of time from confirming you know, promotion, so we know we're building a Premier League squad. What's the moment that's either made you the most excited, or you've been the most relieved to to see a bit of business done? I think it. I think it was Norman yesterday, and, and it's not just because we've all been saying we need a bit of muscle in the middle of the park for, for however long. He's got long. some muscles in the middle. Of that, there is no doubt. <laughs> also, I thought he was, um, I saw a picture of him for the first time and didn't sort of click on it to look closely. I thought it was Jose Mourinho, which I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure uh, he would thank <laughs> me for saying. He might be 52. Yeah, but well, okay, punt. Let's just, let's just focus on how, how good looking he is. You you said that you obviously might get high on the collar. Are we talking Mario levels or does he need to also perform on the pitch before you could love him as much as Mario? Yeah, yeah. I think, he, look, you have to couple those looks with some performances on the pitch and, and Mario's technical ability was never, ever in doubt. So that's what made him such a, a fine specimen. So, um, yeah, I, he's not he's not typically a Mario replacement. Mario was much more humble. This guy looks like he knows that he's very good looking and he knows <laughs> what his assets are. Um, yeah, I'm kind of picking up on that. Whereas um, Mario was never that guy. Mario was just a lovely guy who who came across as very humble. So um, yeah, he's he's not a Mario replacement. I don't think he ever will be. Okay, sorry, sorry. Until he scores a screamer against Sheffield Wednesday in the last minute. Okay, sorry Oops. about that. So you you carry on about why Norman was the moment where you were most relieved for for this preseason. Yeah, I, I think Mourinho aside, I think um, it was more it was more sort of that kind of case closed sort of you know clapping mm. your hands together, job done, a day you know a day early, like 
we can we've all had sort of our, our doubts and our worries over the the course well since we got promoted you know yeah. comparing to last se- last time we were in the premier league you know really you know, scrutiny on weber has been absolutely intense in terms of um you know we've all trusted him for a good few years but we've got a com- direct comparison this season from how we did it last season and i think you know it had to be better um and i think we kind of He's ticked all the sort of boxes that that we were all talking about throughout the um, throughout the transfer window. Um, yes, we don't know if they're all going to come off. We don't know if Norman is going to be the answer to our our defensive midfield problems. But um, it was just that kind of like we've done it. You know, we're doing defensive midfielder. We've got a centre back on the way. Like that's it. You don't need to worry. It's all done. Like let's move on. And I just thought. That was so, you know, yes, we've pushed it closer to the line than we have in, in a few of the last seasons. But I think just that sort of feeling of of getting them done early, I think, um, even if it was only a day early, I think was a real kind of, yeah, this is all right, kind of satisfaction feeling, I think. Nice. What about you, Madster? Well, I was in Anglia Square when the news broke that we were interested in Christos Yolis. And I remember, you know, traipsing around the fine city within a city thinking there is absolutely no way in hell he gets that over the line because what a signing that would be. And I remember poor old Jude, my mum, trying to drag me around. She's like, you know, look at the delights of QD. You know, let's go in Oxfam. Let's look at this. I'm like, Jude, Jude, I'm watching the highlights of Christos Yolis. This could be the defining moment for Norwich City. And it sort of simmered away under the surface for a couple of weeks. And then once again, I was traipsing around Anglia Square and Jude's there with her camera snapping away. And she's like, what's the matter? Why have you stopped? Mum, we've done it. We've got Christos Yolis. And that <laughs> that for me was, we've pulled off an absolute coup here because he, he you know, he's been linked to so many teams and he just looks, he looks like, well, you know, as Farker says, he's one for the present, but he's one for the future. And he, to me, I think he's going to be the one that we, we profit off the most. I think I've only seen him play for 90 minutes and yet I can safely say that he's going to win the Champions League and he's a future Ballon d'Or winner. I'm I'm that confident that he's going to be, you know, the next best player in the world at some point. So he he just looks insane. I can't hype this guy up enough. And, you know, you've got Farker over there going, oh, he's still young. He's a, he's only a baby, you know, leave him be. Let's not get too excited. Nah, he, he is the next big thing. And the sooner he can be a regular starter for Norwich City the sooner we start to get taken seriously. He's that good. Love it. Can you beat that tub thumping, John? Now, what was the original question again? Like, What kind of window have we had? No, no, no. What, what, I'm glad you're listening. Um, it's the, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's what's the, uh, the, the moment that you've either been most pleased or most relieved or, you know, where you, you know, the real highlight or headline for you from, from this, this closed season's business. I think it, there was a realisation uh, kind of post Emmy departure that regardless of who we were going to sign the players that we were getting linked with were absolutely a different profile and then you know Rashica came in quite quickly after that and that felt at that point like you know like this might be the premier signing of the summer and we've got him over the over the line um relatively early we can get him in the building embed him brilliant and then it was just like a procession just these players kept coming at and it, it just feels to me like Weber and the recruitment team, and, and from what we hear, um, you know, Farker's been a bit more actively involved in the transfer business th- this summer as well, is that 
they've taken what they did in the championship you know that kind of template almost like the money ball style thing you know they're competing in the same market as, as perhaps a brentford and they've taken that and they've now applied it to the premier league and they're doing it properly and it, and it just feels like all the signings that we're making or most of the signings that we're making are relatively low risk so you know you look at someone like rashid so you're not going to lose money on him you look at someone like Charles. You're definitely not going to lose money on that lad. Same with Sargent, you know, kind of as well. These are considered signings, which, you know, kind of are risky in terms of will they all work out, but low risk because we will, you know, recoup the fees and probably then some down the line. Um, and I think that's that's where as a club that, that we need to be. But the shift for me was a, the type of player that we were then starting to sign. And that's really exciting. And we should, you know, as fans, we should be really excited because once Farker coaches these lads to play effectively as a team we should have no fear about most teams in this division now well I think you, you make a really good point in terms of the, the, the general standard jumping up a notch um, and I'm I'm really excited to see to see Norman play because um, I'll be completely honest it hadn't occurred to me until you said it Jonathan that actually maybe he isn't defensive because maybe it's an evolution and we don't need a, a copy and paste of volley skip. We need someone to, to to tackle and hold things and be posi- positionally aware. But actually, maybe there is a, a tactical flexibility in the way we're going to set up that means actually what we need is someone who's slightly more defensively minded, but but can still get on the ball and play. I mean, um, I love the attitude that nearly all of the guys have come in with. We we seem to have signed a number of um, really big personalities. Um, just you know, you can't. Could go completely by social media, and um, and obviously they're trying to, to 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 g them up with regards to the um, to the, you know, the intro videos and all the rest of it. But just just if you look at the players that we actually seen in real life so far, Rashid says a you know he was in heat just debate with I think it was Gibson and um, uh, and Campbell as they left the the pitch at half time on on Saturday, um, and um, you know I, I loved the fact that Williams was ordering Jollis about in the first half at Bournemouth, having been in the club about 27 hours at that point. And, you know, we really do seem to have, have bought big characters and that's just the ones that we've seen. We haven't seen the last couple of lads yet, obviously. So that that, that makes me that makes me really confident that if we can gel this team together, then um, it might be interesting. We always said on this podcast that the season doesn't really start until Watford. Unfortunately, it looks like we might be right. You'll see. You, you never know. Rightio, lots of really good questions this week, but we will start with my favourite and I think probably the winner of the best question, to be fair, um, which is from Sophie Leaney on Twitter. And she asks, she says, apparently Quebec translates as pumpkin or courgette in Turkish. Um, Who is the panel's favourite former player? I don't know why it has to be former player. Let's just say favourite player, favourite knowledge player, who has a food-based name. And um, I think we're going to have to rely on puns quite a lot. So I'm going to start with a current squad member who is Pierre Lays Melon. <laughs> Zoe. <laughs> I've got a list for you. Um, I'll Go run for through it. them <laughs> quickly. Um, Marco Stipamango, uh, Broccoli Croft, um, yes. Antimatoni, uh, Tomatoni, uh, Pilkington, um, Andrew <laughs> Pomegranate Deli. Um, oh. Wow. Cucumberry Butler, um, right. Melanel Hernandez, Dave Stringer nice. Onions, and Darren Huckabee Troot. 
Oh, I like Ooh. Dave Stringer oh Onions. God. That's very strong. Dave Stringer that's Onions incredible. is brilliant. It's the one piece of homework Maddie, I've done for this podcast. Um, and, and, it, and it was all worth it. I hope um, so. Maddie, do you even want to try and follow that? My my only one was I was trying to think of a way to link it to the main man, Jakob Sorensen. And I remembered that there's a brand of crackers called Jacob's Crackers. So all I was going to go for was Jacob's Crackers. But I, I don't, I, I feel speechless after that. That was just fantastic. It, uh, yeah. A different level. Uh, next up, we have the Unthanked Kitchen on Twitter, and they're asking: Have we got any any more faith in VAR this year? Uh, Maddie, how did you rec- how did that work for you on Saturday? It drove me insane on Saturday. I think as soon as we had the penalty shout and everyone shouting VAR, 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 it was, like, oh, it was like we'd never been away from the bloody Premier League. I couldn't stand it the last time we ran. You know, not to be all fan pleasing, but it just does my head in. So it just, it felt like instant horrific karma when then we have VAR coming around again and we're going, you know, we're shouting anti-VAR chance. And it's, it just, it, and it took so long. It took five minutes for the penalty to be confirmed and it took five minutes for the goal to be overruled. So everyone stood around thinking, well, what's going on here? It took ages for it to go up on the big screen as to what was actually happening and who'd supposedly found one of our players and, you know, what was going on in the box. And it just, maybe they've made it marginally better, but it's still awful. And it's not something that needs marginal improvements. It needs a major overhaul before we can even think about you know, praising it and saying, oh, it's brought something brilliant to football because it hasn't. And so much of it is you sit at home when you watch football and you criticise the referees and that's why it's come into place. And I've I've heard people suggesting things like, oh, we should have trackers on the ball so that, you know, when it goes out, we can tell exactly whose who's corner it is or whose cold kick it is. No, just stop it. We've got so many problems with technology at the moment. I don't want to hear it. So, no, I'm I'm not in defence of VAR. I think it's still awful. And to be the voice of Andy Lorne here, I think we should get rid of it. And it's half of the reason why the Premier League is an awful, awful division. Sure. Damn him. Zoe. Yeah, 100% agree. It, it took so long. And we all thought we'd moved past it taking any time at all after watching the Euros. And it was really quite painful. Um, and, and like Maddie said, like... There's so many. There's still so many problems with it, and and the fact is that it is still coming down to human judgment and opinion, and that's fine. That is what you know. That is what football is about. It is about the fallibility of humans. That's why it's so in like engrossing and absorbing to watch. You know, it's it's about the skill, but also, um, you know, the the psychology and and everything of the players. But it's also you know, the fact that there are mistakes made, there's mistakes made by the officials as well as the players. And I think, why can't we leave that on the pitch? I think, you know, until until the technology tells us definitively one way or the other, leave the mistakes to be on the pitch. I think it's just so much more understandable when you can, you know, when it's all there in, in front of you, rather than wondering what somebody sat in a room somewhere is is thinking. Um so yeah, I, just I'm not a fan at all. Um, but I I did quite enjoy the kind of emergence of the screen. <laughs> it sort of took me quite by surprise when it sort mm-hmm. of just popped up um, in a kind of very slow and very dramatic way. Which uh, you know that was one of one of my highlights of the game. So you know swings and roundabouts, I suppose. But it almost to me it feels like well it's not not even that it feels like it. It just is. It, VAR seems to be in place for the TV audience and. Mm-hmm. 
I watched it on a on a stream on Saturday and then, you know, but kind of in and out. Um, didn't watch it all because, you know, I, I'd have probably got bollocked by Rachel. But at the same time, I then watched the whole match back. And watching the kind of VAR spectacle, it was really obvious within 10 seconds that um, Pierre Lesmelu had been fouled and that was a penalty. And it was, a, for me, I've seen people suggesting that the penalty might have been soft, but it was a stonewaller for me. It, it was really obvious that, you know, Leicester, the Leicester player, I forget who it was, um, the centre-back had, had got nowhere near the ball. He'd taken the player. That was a penalty. Within 15 seconds, the ref should have been called over to a screen to say, you need to have a good look at that. But it was, you know, as you'd said, I think, um, Maddie, you know, three or four minutes before they even reached that conclusion to then reach the correct decision. It was the same with Todd's as as well. You know, it was pretty clear, quite, you know, and I know it was it was marginal, but it was very clear on the screens that they were using that he was a little bit offside and he was standing in the way of, of Schmeichel. And so, you know, this was a goal that wasn't going to stand and they were only kind of upholding the, the original decision as the um, assistant referee had, had flagged him off anyway. So it just felt like all the drama, all the build-up is for the TV audience. Whereas in the Euros, it was really quick. It was just, right, this is either an issue or it isn't an issue. And if it is an issue, then we're going to get the ref to look at it. Bang, done. And I, I just can't see why the Premier League continue to make this much of a hash of it it's just ridiculous we will finish on um norwich fan gegenricht on twitter who asks given norman's gray hair has created some comment which norwich player past or present has the best and worst hairstyle maddie let's start with you again that's rough i don't think you can look past Mario Vrancic, who has managed to have both the best and the worst hairstyles. I remember, I can't, I think it might have been Millwall. Away, he had the white haircut and they were all singing, oh, yeah. I've heard shit on your head. So that was that was a low point for him. I don't think it emphasised his features in the way that perhaps his later haircuts did. And then later on, you know, you've got the absolutely fantastic do and you're looking at him and thinking, yeah, you could go into modelling if footballing doesn't work out. I also remember James Madison, um, I went to Carrow Road, I think, Farkas' first season, and he was the only player that had hairspray next to his um, cubby. So I think he cared more about his hair than other players. I'm not sure if it was that good. And then again, Todd. You can't look past Todd. You know, those long, flowing locks. He gets so much abuse for it, but does he care? No, he just keeps going. And after he had that terrible haircut just before Portsmouth, he had the dye job gone wrong. I think he's come back stronger, and he's now got... A lovely, you know, flowing haircut, and he he's definitely up there. So yeah, we've had some good ones. Okay, Zoe. Um, probably very sort of of his over the time, but looking back on Hux's haircut when he first joined, um, and his sort of blonde frosted tips, um, oh yes, know, a bit tra- very sort of tragic, really. Um, so that's sort of standing out to me at the moment. Um. Best, I mean, oh God, it's difficult, isn't it? I'm really not one to talk about hairstyles, but uh, I'm probably going to give a special shout out for um, the wonderful Tim Closer, again, uh, for having a hairstyle that's basically against most sort of that football players um, at the moment. I <laughs> Just having a sort of floppy um, sort of, I guess, uh, I'm on a gap year type hairstyle rather than anything, um, and, and you know, very eccentric kind of middle class as well, probably. Um, and yeah, completely sort of 
not not of the standard that um, a lot of them are kind of trying to keep to these days. So any opportunity to get Tim back into it, but I'll go with Tim. There you go. Well, we fulfilled our Tim quota for the evening, I believe. Um, Thomas, what well, are you saying? It's funny you should mention Hux. When you look back at pictures of Hux, if you see him being uh, held by the actual answer in a loving tryst, um, the answer to your question of the worst is, is actually Matty Svensson. Who, who had basically a bad version of Hux's bad haircut. Um, so when you see this, there's a couple of pictures, if you Google Matty Spencer Norwich, um, where you can see... Wasn't that his natural colour? Wasn't he blonde, naturally? It's, it's, I don't think it's the colour. That, you know, I don't think it's the colour. It was the, it was the, it was the fact that it was that kind of mullety shape, which was de rigueur and, and kind of up one direction, going another direction, messy down the sides, a bit too long over the years, and then kind of a, a weird kind of mullety flick at the back. Hux looked deliberate, although not to everyone's taste, whereas his looked like he wanted it to be deliberate, but he didn't necessarily fork out for the same amount of product that Hux did to keep it that way. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm likewise, I'm, I'm no follicle guru, um, uh, but but yeah, that, that was the first kind of dodgy hit, dodgy do that came to my mind um, when I saw the question. Can we give a shout-out to Jamie Curitan? Because inevitably yes. we're going to get comments about Jamie Curitan. So just a quick shout-out to his green hair dye job because I can't believe none of us mentioned that one. Probably the most iconic Norwich hairstyle ever. It was quite It was quite bad as well. It was almost running down his face at one point when he got a bit sweaty. It was properly like cheap dye, wasn't it? So, yeah, no, that was great. That was And it was... Did we beat him 3-0 that night? Tom, you'll probably remember Zoe. Um, I, we won. But I, we I, definitely I, won, yeah. I would have said two, but... Um... I think it was the one, I think Edie was playing and um, Curitan might have scored, I can't remember. Anyway, it was a good night. If it, you know, talking was... of hair as well, um, can't, can't miss Grant Holt's moustache as well, if we're extending it to facial hair. Um, again, <laughs> very successful um, Derby Day um, edition as well. So yeah, Grant Holt's moustache has got to be the winner as well. We could do okay. a decent Derby Day photo gallery just on hair, facial hair for over the decades. Um, I mean, speaking of mullets, uh, the the picture of Bruce um, sprinting away celebrating that that's quite an eighties kind of do that he's got. I mean, obviously it was mid eighties, yeah. so he's allowed. But Tony just Spearing <clears throat> as well. Tony Spearing had a proper curly mullet, like proper. Like I don't know if that had um, had been manufactured or whether they were his natural curls, but um, yeah, that was quite the do. Manufactured. I don't think it was synthetic. I don't think well, it was. A you know what I mean, boy. And, and well, for, for once, for once on this podcast, I do. And with that, um, I thank you to Zoe. I thank you to Maddie for talking to us. And punt, of course, I acknowledge you exist. Um, and everyone else, enjoy the fact we can't lose this weekend. Um, and seeing how the new boys get on on their travels, the ones that have been allowed to to go. Um, and we'll see you on the other side of Arsenal. Mind how you go. Mm-hmm.